I'm going to pick up with that. We're going to move from Mary's story this morning to Joseph's story. And the details of this are found particularly in Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 25. So find one of the screens where it's comfortable for, for you to read, and let's read together heartily. Everybody, here we go. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Bow your hearts with me, please, for an opening word of prayer. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Emmanuel, God with us. We, we're overwhelmed at the multitude of names that each describe your character and your nature. Lord, your overwhelming love that never runs out, your mercy that doesn't have an end, your steadfast love and your mercies that are new every morning. God, we're so grateful. We thank you for that. Thank you that even as we sang in that great Wesleyan hymn, that great Methodist Christmas carol, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. God, we thank you that the herald angel came and he announced, he proclaimed, and in that was the gift of the gospel, the good news of the conquering king, Jesus Christ, who has come to reign in heaven and earth. We're careful today to give you praise. I'm, I, I want to just say right now in, in your presence, Lord, and in, under the, the hearing of every person in this place and on this, this CD or across the internet, however people are listening to this now or in the future, that I desperately need you. Holy Spirit, be the voice within the voice. You have the ability to weave the gospel into the intricacies of the circumstances of these individual people's lives and you can take a coal off the altar and minister it personally to them, I pray. It's in the name of Jesus that we lift this up and we'll be careful to give you the praise all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of God. As we open the message today, I am overwhelmed at God's blessing, this so great, grateful, thankful for all that He's done in my life in this season, what He's done over the years in Victory Church, in friends and family just to see the testimonies, hear the good things of God and what He's doing in your lives this year. And so we, we sort of bring this down into a season where things start to, they pick up really fast and there's a lot of hustle and bustle. And then things begin to sort of just take that little slow ride, kind of a peace settles in. I love the period that we're in right now as we roll into Christmas Eve and 
family time and time with friends because it's just things finally begin to slow down and you begin to enjoy all the stuff that you've been doing and working and presents wrapping and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes we get so caught up in all the commercialism and the, the gift giving and the pressure and the obligation, all of those things that we really lose sight biblically about what this thing is about. And I'm not here to, to argue with or dash anybody's hopes or beliefs in a talking snowman or a man who comes down the chimney in a red suit or any of that kind of stuff. That's, that's all fine and dandy. But we really clog the issue and we sort of muddy the water when we fail to bring to the center what the whole thing is about, and that is Christness. That is, that is honoring Jesus Christ who was born of a virgin. And we emphasize those things. We, we, we deal with the four themes of Advent. Advent means to arrive. It means to come. It means something has, the, the advent of something is the beginning, the the initiation and the announcement of the, the new start. The, the first advent of Christ was remarkable in that it was not on the back of slaves in a mobile throne that was gold-encrusted and bedazzled with jewels. Um, it was not on the back of a white horse with a scepter in one hand and a sword in another. It came like a quiet winter snow that blanketed the earth which really very, very, very few people knew. I mean, it was really just a young couple and some shepherds in a field that heard the gloria in the highest and the pronouncement of God doing a new thing and rejoice, O city of David, for this day is born Christ the Savior. That this Jesus will save His people from their sins. And we talk about hope and Love and joy and peace and light. And there are five candles there. The four purple ones are, represent those four critical themes of hope. The hope, the desire of nations, the Messiah that would come, that went all the way back into the garden in Genesis 3.15 when Adam and Eve first sinned. And God in that spot on that place pronounced grace that was coming, saying that the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head and the serpent would bruise his heel. It was the pronouncement, it was the protoevangel. it was the gospel in a nutshell. It was the proclamation while they were still in the place of sin that God was going to redeem them and bring them back into a relationship with Him and what had been lost. God found them. He went on a hide-and-seek spree one day because Adam didn't show up when they normally walked in the cool of the day. And Scripture says that God's walking to the garden. Adam, where are you? That doesn't sound religious enough. We need a little bit of a Shakespearean edge to it. We need a little King James, Queen Elizabeth English, Elizabethan. Adam, where art thou? And so Adam and Eve stand up very, very circumspectly from behind the bushes because they're hiding and they've sewn some aprons together out of fig leaves and they're hiding because they know they've sinned and there's a separation in the relationship and they've covered themselves with fig leaves. Interestingly enough... The fig tree in Scripture always represents Israel and it was a representation of the religious idolatry of that nation. If you remember, there's only one tree that Jesus ever cursed and it was the fig tree because He looked for fruit on it to eat and He didn't find any fruit and He pronounced judgment on it and they came back by the next day and Peter said, Whoa, ho, hey, 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 slow, stop the train. Look, Jesus, there's that tree you cursed yesterday. And Jesus pronounced that God would take the kingdom away from the nation of Israel and give it to a nation that would produce its fruits. And that nation is the church. It was the nation that was born in one day, and that was the day of Pentecost. 
And so we find Adam and Eve hiding and covering, and that's what people do when there's in sin, when, when there's isolation, when people are hiding from you in the relationship and when they're covering themselves in religious deeds and a lot of religious verbiage and talk, there's something there. You need to learn and pay attention because people will reveal the contents of their hearts if you listen to what's coming out of their mouths. From the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. And so they're hiding, they're covered, and God speaks the gospel and He puts, He plants the seed of hope into the hearts of men and prophets and sages and saints through the ages begin to carry the word of one who is coming, this Yeshua HaMashiach, God who is our salvation. God the anointed one will come and they're looking and they're longing and, and decades become centuries and centuries roll into millennia. And little would it be known that all of a sudden God would tap upon the shoulder of a young woman out in the Judean countryside. Really just what looks like a typical teenage girl. Could be any one of the girls here in our congregation. It could be a, it could be a Wesley Grafton. It could be a, a Tiffany. The Tiffany's a little older than 15. I'm trying to think of some of, our, some of our girls in our congregation. And God injects hope into the hearts of people that are longing and then it becomes His message of love when He brings His own uniquely begotten Son into the world through this most incredible means and that is through the womb of a virgin girl. We're going to talk about that for a moment. We emphasize the virgin birth and I've not lost my train of thought and the hope and the love and the peace and the joy. All of those things are pronounced and they bring us up to Christmas Eve where we light the middle candle of light and all of those are consummated with Jesus who has come and the light of the world has dispelled the darkness. The darkness of sin, the darkness of evil, the darkness of bondage. And we who've been set free from all of that have been called to show forth the praises of Him who has brought us out of darkness and put us into His marvelous light. How many of you are thankful for the light of the Lord this morning? Say amen. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Now I'm just talking from my heart a little bit today. I'm not going to be long, but I've got four points that I want to bring to you real quickly. And that is the fact, number one out of the shoot, that God is not worried. He's not afraid of the association with a bad reputation. Out of the shoot this morning, I believe there are people in the room that need to hear that. You may be sitting in the service today and you might be here out of obligation because somebody has hounded you so many times. Come on and come to church with me. I want you to come on, go to victory. Come on. Would you please just come on and go to church? Go to victory with me. And maybe you're here today because you're trying to appease mom or a friend. And as you've sat down in this place, there's something that is a little different about the, the presence of God. It just almost is like you can smell it, you can feel it, it's in the atmosphere. And you're sensing the love of God wrapping around you and you're going, Oh, but you know, if these people had any idea what I'm struggling with, they would have nothing to do with me. And let me just tell you that you're in a room full of people who are just like you are. God was not afraid of the association of a bad reputation. Now think about this. He, he didn't announce himself in grandeur with great festal courtly trumpets. Da, 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 da. King of kings is here. No, it was like a quiet, unannounced, almost unobservable in a little town in the hills in the corner of Israel by the name of Bethlehem of Judea. 
a little young family that's in Nazareth and a young girl who's 15 years old who has been betrothed to a young man. The bride price has been exchanged. The dowry has already been given. The agreement between the husband-to-be and the father of the bride has already been pronounced. And they have been betrothed. Very similar to our engagement in American society, except betrothal, unlike engagement, is actually more important and more binding than the marriage itself. They don't enter into it lightly. It's very soberly done. It is in discretion. It is in deliberation. It's in understanding of what the commitment means. It's a complete understanding of what covenant means. They're not entering in with any loopholes that as long as we both shall love. Twenty years ago, I had someone who didn't go to church here ask me to marry them, and they said, we want to write our own vows. And I said, okay, great. Just let me see them. And one of the lines said, as long as we both shall love, instead of as long as we both shall live. I said, I can't marry you. Well, why not? I said, because you're not really in this for good. You, you're, you've signed in. You've got, a, you've, got a, you've got an escape hatch on the front end. Because let me just tell you, there are going to be some days that you're not going to love him. <laughs> Am I talking too plainly this morning? There are going to be some days that you're not just totally swept up in infatuation with her the way you are right now. It's in those days when you've lost that loving feeling that you remember that you made a covenant in the face of God, with God, and in in the witnesses of your friends and family. And you said, as long as we both shall live, I pledge my heart and my life. Because God is a covenant-keeping God. And He's interested in how we do these things. These customs are not to be trivialized. The Hebrew people joined together a promising young virgin to a, the expectation of a young man who's going to love her and honor her and cherish her and work and provide for her and, and the authority is passed down from the father to the new husband. That's why we go through the stuff that we do in weddings. We, we attempt to go back to the garden. We decorate the place with ferns and plants and there's something in us that harkens back to the Garden of Eden when God made the first marriage between a man and a woman and when God walked Eve down the aisle... And that verdant plain, and that green plain filled with life and immortality. And he brought to man, and man says, whoa. And God says, okay, that's what we'll name her. Whoa, man. Man with a womb. He put Adam to sleep and took his rib, and he built, is literally the Hebrew word, built the woman. And so all of these things are built into our customs. They're built into our Judeo-Christian heritage. And And this young virgin, 14, 15 years old, has been betrothed. She has given her commitment. And all of a sudden, somewhere in the the process, this young man who is filled with expectation finds out his beautiful, pure, innocent young virgin is carrying a baby. She's starting to show. There are a few months' time between the betrothal and the actual marriage ceremony. And the marriage is a great big party. And then there is the consummation of the marriage bed. We don't have to explain that. We know what that means. Joseph's concerned because he feels like somebody's already beat him to it. Pardon me if that's a little crass. But I want you to think about this. God did not mind setting this thing up in a way that would offend every Pharisee that would ever be born on the planet. Because if we're judging by the externals, what we see is the same thing that we do today, 20 centuries later, is a 15-year-old unwed, pregnant teenager who's been messing around. Look at her. And the Bible says that Joseph was a just man 
And rather than shaming her, and the shame would literally probably involve her death because she could be stoned according to the law in Exodus and Deuteronomy. But because he was a just man, the scripture says he chose to put her away privately. But before we get to Joseph and I jump the gun here, I want you to think with me for just a moment because this is so remarkable to think about how God loves us so much and he is so not afraid of identifying with the the least and the last and the lost and the lowest. The last and the least and the lost and the lowest. And that sounds like an old school Adrian Rogers, a nicely alliterated, good old Baptist hymn. And I'm not saying that in a pejorative way. I love, I've, I've learned a lot of things from the scripture and how to preach. That's, we call it old school because it's really not in style today to do that. But I just think in this moment it was a great way to do it because every one of those words identifies the lowest level of a society. God was not afraid for the association of a bad reputation because He wanted His redemption not just to come to the privileged and to the upper class. He wanted His redemption and His love to be demonstrated not just to those that were living a nice, good, moral life and upstanding, card-carrying, Kiwanis Rotary Club members, young card-carrying Republicans or Democrats, whatever. Are you hearing me preach a little bit this morning? He's not interested in any of that stuff and all of the accoutrements of society that we get so caught up and trapped into. But he decided that when he made his entrance into the world that it would be in such a way that the the most outcast, the farthest misfit, disconnected, undone, broken, messed up, jacked up, totally destroyed, completely annihilated person by the enemy that God could give them hope because he came through an irreputable, young, teenage, unpregnant, unwed, pregnant, very not unpregnant for sure, pregnant, unwed mother. Now, in, in these times, that was just about the lowest of the low. Because in Hebrew society, even the young boys that were the male heirs were higher on the pecking order than the mothers who birthed them. Women were the bottom rung in the society. And so God is going to actually set this thing up with a little bit of an offense inside it because later on the Pharisees are going to remember that in the book of John. They're going to challenge Jesus because of the rumors that have circulated around His life, His whole life. Well, you're not really, you know, you're illegitimate after all. We're going to talk about that in a moment. I want to get ahead of myself. So God is not afraid of... The, the association with a bad reputation. Number two, we're going to talk about paternity for a moment. Paternity. Paternity. That's, that's a big... It's a word which means fatherhood. Uh, uh, is it okay if I get real 21st century with you? Who the baby daddy? <laughs> Whose child is this? Who does this baby belong to? Joseph knew it wasn't his. Joseph has an intention. He's a good man. He's not going to shame this girl because he loves Mary. But Joseph's intention gets overridden by God's intervention. And I'm thankful that that some of you were involved in an intention somewhere in your life and you had a but God experience where God just sort of stepped right down out of the heavens, zipped them open and He touched you in your life and changed you and transformed you. 
you were headed a certain direction, headed to hell in a handbasket, so to speak, and God sovereignly stepped into your life and saved you and transformed your life. Can I have an amen? amen? Now think about this. Every faithful Jewish family has been looking for the Messiah, but nobody thinks it's going to come in theirs. Prophecy has been declared for every generation. There have been minor and major prophets, little books and great big books, all the way back to Genesis with the protoevangel, with the seed of the woman and the, the head of the serpent and the heel of the, of the seed of the woman himself. And so we march through that and we see foreshadowings. We see types and pictures and prophetic symbols of, of this great Messiah, this Yeshua HaMashiach, this God is salvation, the anointed one who is coming. He's coming, He's coming, He's coming. Every Old Testament sacrifice, every goat whose, whose throat was slit, every bull that died, every dove that gave its life for a poor family, it was all a foreshadowing, a picture of the sinless blood of one that would finally take away the sins of the world. It's a picture of the coming Messiah. They all knew He was coming. Those folks didn't have faith in that blood to save them. They knew that blood wasn't saving them. They knew that it was a faith in the future Messiah who was yet to come. Old Testament saints are saved just like you and I are. They're saved by grace through faith. But they're looking forward to the application of the blood at the cross of Calvary. We look backward to the, the sacrifice that's already been made for us. Ours is a backward faith. Theirs is a forward faith. Just like the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with the cherubim both facing the middle where the high priest would go in once a year and sprinkle the blood in the middle. That's the picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. Old Testament saints looking forward to it. New Testament saints looking back toward it. All in faith. All because of grace. Somebody say amen. amen. This, lest you get too religious on me here for a second, this is a ready-made Maury episode on television. Some of you are looking at me like, Pastor, how do you know about the Maury Povich show? I've read a lot of books in the last three weeks, and I've watched too much television. And I sat there one afternoon about 4 o'clock, and I flipped the channel because I was tired of reading, and I was just trying to get in a place where I could be comfortable and, 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 and get a little bit of rest, and in between naps. And this thing comes on, and I'm just like fascinated. I'm going, man, these people are nuts. And I really watched closer because I thought I might see somebody I know. <laughs> Present company excluded. I mean, just how these people are acting, I just could not believe it. And it's just going on and on. And he took a, he, he took a, 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 a lie detector test and it declares that he is not cheating on you. And man, they're just all over each other and having a good old time. And mm, 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 I love you. And then, of course, the next episode comes up and he took a lie detector test and he has been cheating on you with 14 other women. And then the DNA tests come out, the paternity test. That's who, who the baby daddy. And so then we've, we've got this, and, and please, I, don't, I shouldn't say it that way because it's not a racial thing because these are white folks and black folks and Asian folks and Hispanic folks, all, everything, it's on there, okay? So it's just, I mean, if it was an example of Jesus loving people that are the last and the least and the lowest, um, that's, that, those are people Jesus died for. He loves them. 
And I'm thinking about how Joseph felt about this situation because that's the way. we See, when we read the Bible, we get disconnected from it and we kind of put it in a once, once upon a time sort of a fairy tale kind of a mode and we just we see the promise of God and we think, well, that's how God did back then and we disconnect ourselves and that's where we short circuit the grace and the faith of God for Him to be able to work in our lives because we start thinking in that kind of a wrong-headed mentality. That's the reason I use these stark examples to bring it up to date to show you that this is literally what Joseph was wrestling with. I love this woman. I was going to marry her. I'm betrothed to her. I've, I've given myself. I've paid the bride price. All these things have already been settled, but she's carrying somebody else's baby. And In the middle of his intention, God intervened and he had an appearance of an angelic being. And you know, that's something that you don't, don't expect on an everyday basis to happen in your life. And, 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 and I just want to say to you that a lot of times we have a tendency to just keep everything intellectual and keep everything in the principle and we read about things in the Bible. But sometimes God jumps. As a matter of fact, a lot of times God moves outside of the box of our limitations of Him and He will do something to show you to say, Hey, I'm out here on the water. Come on, get out of the boat, Peter. Step out in faith. I'm going to carry you. Quit looking at the wind and the waves. So Joseph fell asleep and the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, probably the great annunciator, comes to him and he says, don't be afraid. This thing that's going on is actually a work of God. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She's going to have a son, but you're going to call his name Jesus because he's going to save his people from his sins. And he wakes up realizing, okay, I, I think I had too much. I had too much of the rejoicing wine last night. I ate too much pizza. There was some anchovies on there that's got me all messed. No, 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 he doesn't doubt anything. He wakes up and he says, okay, fine. And he makes a commitment that we miss. He did not know her. He knew her not until she brought forth Jesus, which is a really nice cleaned up way of saying they didn't have sex. So the baby was born from, in every kind of way, a virgin. Overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, announced by the angel of God. God is this baby's father. But Joseph has been given the stewardship to carry and to cover and to guard and to lead and to raise this young man until he steps into everything that he is called to be. Point number three, God's use of offense. Everybody say offense. Now offense is not what the Razorbacks have needed for 17 games and finally woke up and got some of. But offense is when you get hurt. Offense is the Greek word skandalon. We get our English word scandal from it. When you have been offended, it's correct to say that you have been scandalized. And the scandalon literally is the little trigger on the mousetrap where you put the cheese and then you pull the trap over and you hook it very, very carefully. And then when it snaps your finger, you make sure you say, Jesus, 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 instead of something else. The scandalon is the, the little place where the mouse nibbles the cheese and all of a sudden he, he sacrifices his life. For, and then you have a horror movie and there's blood and there's, Michael, there's a dead mouse, come deal with it. <laughs> we get trapped under the scandalon of people who hurt us. And a lot of times, not intentionally. 
Sometimes by the people that we love the most, the people that we've made the greatest investments in. Sometimes they're the ones who hurt us the deepest and they see our response and they hear what is anger. And it's anger not out of hatred, it's anger out of a deep love because we've been so hurt and disappointed and so deeply wounded. And let me tell you, I have been there, I have done that, I have experienced that and I have hurt And I've had to come back to God and say, God, you're going to have to help me trust again. I've been in the ministry for 30 years and one of the most difficult things for a pastor to do is to keep trusting people because people are are just people. And that's the reason I try so hard to keep it so real here because I want to tell you there is not but one that will never leave you nor forsake you. There's not but one who will not fail you and it is not me. But I'm called to point to the one who it is. And people will wound you and people will hurt you and we have the choice whether or not we're going to stay in that place of offense. As a matter of fact, the gospel is offensive. The cross, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, the preaching of the cross is a stumbling block. It's the Greek word skandalon. It's an offense. God set this story up with an offense. Think about it. Because every good, law-loving, God-honoring Messiah expecting Pharisee knew the prophecies. They knew they were coming But all they see are the externals, a young, pregnant, teenage, unwed mother. And so they whisper and they judge and they pronounce. And thank God Joseph believed the angel. He had an experience that most churches would say, God doesn't do that kind of stuff. And it's not written. Yet every time I see God call somebody, He supernaturally speaks and brings a messenger some kind of way whether it's through a dream or a vision or through a still small voice of the Spirit of God or through a prophet or an apostle of God that declares the word of the Lord over a person's life. A dream that's been birthed, a vision that's been nurtured. We can can be so strict. We can be so making sure in such intense pursuit of precision in our theology that we can know the book and not know the God who wrote it. Jesus looked at the whole generation of people and He said, Search the Scriptures. You think in them you have eternal life, but these are they which speak of Me. And you would not come to Me. That's such a frightening thing because the Pharisees loved Jesus as long as He was a prophecy. But when He walked into their lives, they could not receive Him because of the offenses that God had set up in order to trip them up take them off of their prideful stand and bring them to their knees to bow before the cross, the foot of the cross and the King of Kings. Because the preaching of the gospel is an offense. God set this thing up as an offense. God showed up on the planet through the least, the last, the lost, the lowest, through a little pregnant, unwed teenage girl that by all accounts should have been stoned from the externals. Are you following me this morning? That is, what I want to help you see is that in the middle of all of the stuff that we're facing, in the middle of all the stuff that we're dealing with, many, 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 many times we confuse facts for truth. The facts are lined up. The externals are there. We've got this young girl that's obviously been out messing around and she's been unfaithful to her husband-to-be who's not yet been able to actually pronounce, be pronounced as married and to be able to consummate and enjoy that time of intimacy as a husband and a wife. Somebody's already been there. And they're whispering about it. The facts look like they are, but the truth is this is a God thing. 
How can, I, how can this be, Mary said, since I know not a man? And even the beauty of the offense for all of the prophecy, uh, ex, those that were expecting, they, they later asked the question, how can this, he can't be the Messiah because can anything good come out of Nazareth? But you've got to remember a very true, real historical figure at the time sitting on the throne of the Roman Empire, the, the Caesar Augustus is his name, pronounced that there would be a census for the purpose of taxation. Everybody has to go back to their home, sort of the county seat. For us here it would be Marion. So, so Mary and Joseph are living in Nazareth, but they have to get on. She's nine months pregnant, due any minute. Coming, that baby's coming like a Baptist rapture, any minute. So they get on the back of a donkey and they ride into town and there's no room in the inn. And they have that little baby, the precious God-man that enters the world like a winter snow unannounced. Oh, there's a few shepherds that are aware. There's some angels on the scene. God shows a star to some wise men that start the trek and takes them a couple years to get there to the house in Nazareth when the child, not the baby in Bethlehem. And it's so cool because God sends the bread of heaven, Jesus, and He has Him born in the city whose name, Bethlehem, means the house of bread. And he who was the praise of God would be born in a region called Bethlehem, Judea. Judah means praise. So Bethlehem, Judea means the house of bread and praise. The house of bread and praise is where, the God, where God's bread and the very praise of God came into the world. Is that cool or what? We've got all these things that God sets up with an offense. Because so many times we're looking at the facts and we can't see the larger truth. My heart is broken because I've sat at home and I've seen so much television, I've read so much, and I've broken, my heart is broken because of the situation in Ferguson and because of New York with Eric Garner. And I, I know that there are probably differing ideas in this room and that's not what even it's even about. I just want to beg you this morning that if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that you don't just set this up on a political basis, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, or whether you're white or black, or whether you're Hispanic, or whatever eyes or perspectives that you look at any of that stuff through, our nation has been ripped to the soul because of five centuries of the transatlantic slave trade and the sins of our fathers. Now don't look at me like that. We're, we're dealing with stuff, and we need to have a conversation. And I'm talking to a group that's largely white this morning. And if you can't have a little bit of empathy for the person in the cubicle next to you who is a single black mother and who's worried about her teenage son, and I know the, the white response, you need to treat police officers with respect, absolutely. That does not negate that there are, two, there are a few of them out there that are using their badge the wrong way. And I say that very carefully because we are so careful to honor positions of authority all over this church. And we honor our first responders and we love our sheriffs and our policemen and all the people that are part of this congregation. But if they are honest, they will tell you that sometimes people they work with can get out of hand. And it's hard, it's difficult. You're going into literally bomb-threatened situations and, and poverty-stricken areas and a lot of times don't get the kind of respect for very little pay. And I'm not turning around and trying to hold this thing up to the light and twisting the dime in all these different ways. But I'm telling you, and this is what I cried out for, for some of the moms in this church who have beautiful young black sons, and I'm going, God, help us in this city. Protect these young men. Help them to raise, be raised up and nurtured. Let the church come beside them and be fathers to the fatherless. 
Help every one of us because we have the message. We have the grace of God, the gift of God, the gospel of God. Look around us. We are a group of people that are so different. The church has the ability because it is the gospel that draws people that otherwise never would ever come together. Red and yellow, black and white, and rich and poor, and educated and uneducated, and different socioeconomic levels. But the thing that we have in common is this love for Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. And we can realize that grace is bigger than race. And I'm, 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 I'm going to go over if I don't quit, so I'm going to put it, in, put it in fast, put it in turbo. If we can't at least stop and listen and have some empathy for the people that are hurting, then we will never be able to have a conversation and we can never heal the rift. You can be a gospel carrier and you can show love. Now, that doesn't mean that you dismiss things that need to be said. But before you get your opinion out, why don't you just open your ears and listen to the hurt that somebody else has. The last thing we need to do is see a young pregnant mama walk through that door, single 15-year-old girl, and look down our religious noses at her and go, yeah, she's been messing around. What happens? The church comes and throws our arms around her and says, come on, honey, we're going to love on you. We're going to help you. We're, 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 going, to, we're going to talk to you about the potential of hope and a new life. If everything is always about shame, then we never reach that point where there's an opportunity to go, okay, there's life here. God had something to do with this, even if it came under less than the best kinds of circumstances. Can he, are you hearing what I'm saying? So think about Mary and how she could have been treated and how the Spirit of God asked Joseph to treat her in response to the fact that we are in a racially charged area and Ferguson affects us and Eric Garner affects us and no matter which side of that you come in and you may feel differently about one than you do about the other one. You may feel think both of them are wrong. You may think one was justified, the other one wasn't or neither, whatever. It doesn't matter. Those are all opinions and opinions don't matter. It's what is the gospel and where's the grace of God in the middle of this? And the fact that all lives matter. Not just black lives matter. All lives matter. And policemen's lives matter. All lives matter. All lives matter to Jesus. So you didn't think you were going to get this kind of message this morning, did you? I've been sitting there at the house and just God prophetically stirring my heart. And I'm just wrestling this stuff down. And my last point, and this is what I want to say to you. Joseph had the heart of a spiritual father. Too many times people take the convenient way out rather than walking in covenant. Joseph had an intention to just put her away privately and quietly, but the angel of the Lord turned him around and said, no, 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 I got something better for you than that. I want you to go ahead and cover this child because this is my son, God said. Over the years, I've pastored for here 25 years. I've been in the ministry for 30. And over these 25, there's been a couple of times when I've dealt with people that maybe out of jealousy in my place of position or whatever, They've looked at me and said, Victory, Victory Church is not your church, Pastor Mike. And I quickly said, hey, you're absolutely right. But Jesus wasn't Joseph's son either, but God still commissioned him and commanded him to steward that baby from his birth. And he was going to be judged on how he did it. Kingdom of Israel was not David's, but David was still the leader and God would judge him on how the nation went by his leadership. 
And so I say that to remind you to please pray for me. I need the wisdom of God. I need the mercy and the compassion and a prophetic sense of what the Lord is doing in this congregation because I'm just a human. I'm just a man like everybody else in the room and I need the Spirit of God to help me and to get in what He's doing and wanting to say in this generation, in the 21st century, in the Delta. It so blessed my heart to see a multitude of people come out yesterday and stand around and witness and love on and hug because I believe we really did an amazing job getting coats on the backs of children that really did need them. There have been years past where it's been folks just showing up for a handout. This year I think it was remarkable. We would made some adjustments and give Pastor Haley a hand because she really led this thing remarkably. It was so beautiful to me because I'm seeing people like Becky Cecil dressing a little girl and getting down there in front of her and the little girl throwing her arms around the different people. I think that was one scenario that I saw. And I'm thinking how wonderful it is for a precious little African-American girl to grow up and know that all white people aren't what they see on the news. And for us as a largely white congregation to welcome people in this community that are in need and us not go away thinking that all black people are thugs. And I'm sorry I have to even characterize the, the, the statement that way, but that's the way a lot of people think, and that's how we have to break out of that nonsense. That's what Joseph refused to do about a, a girl he was betrothed to. And God said, no, no, this is a God thing. Facts said one thing, truth said something else. He had the heart of a spiritual father. See, this is what I see. I see people in this congregation in the same way that I believed in Haley a few years ago and I believed in Jeremy and we've seen the culmination of faithfulness and character that's grown and a gifting that's begun to explode and anointing that's very obvious. And last Sunday night we laid hands on those two and, and ordained them. I want to see that for other people in this congregation because I see great potential growing in people that are future leaders in this church because I want to give away what God has given to me. I want to pass it to the next generation. I want to see a new generation on fire for the sake of the kingdom of God. I wish Jesus would come back today right now. If He would, it would fix a whole lot of mess. Okay, He didn't. We're still here. So we got to think in those kind of terms. So I'm thinking about the next generation. I, I, I want to give the testimony as I, I truly am going to end it. I'm sorry. I'm a little bit over, Haley. Be, be, bear with me. Got kids, kids in ministry. Got to end. Is, is Benny Lee Lewis over here? That's what I call him. Ben, Jerry Lee Lewis. Ben. He's just growing. He's, it's such a privilege to bring him in on this platform. I started playing in church when I was nine. And then big, that was youth service. Ten when, I was ten when I played in big church. And That's right. I told him last time we had a praise team meeting, I said, look, I've been playing music for 40 years. And Bernie said, that's longer than I am old. <laughs> and it so blesses me because he's just growing and taking off. And, and did he do an amazing job accompanying Scott this morning on Hallelujah? I saw this, and when I saw it, I thought, I want Scott to do it. And I and I'm immediately I thought, you know, I, I can do that both eyes closed and the hand tied behind my back. But I said, you know what? It's time for Ben to step up and take the, the light and be, be able to accompany somebody and see him grow. And it blesses my heart to make an investment in somebody like that. And that's what a Joseph does. A Joseph makes an investment in somebody else and covers even when there's a wrong chord or there's a mistake or somebody leads and there's a little bit of a twang and you kind of have to encourage and help and maybe a little constructive criticism. And sometimes that's when you can be hurt the greatest because sometimes the people you invest in the most can hurt you the deepest.
But you've got to keep trusting. You've got to keep giving. You've got to keep investing. And this morning, too many walk away from the Holy Spirit, a work of the Holy Spirit, because they don't understand it. And so I'd ask you this question as I close today. Do you live out of convenience or do you live out of covenant? Realizing that there's something there beyond the way you feel. This is the stuff that makes marriages last two, three, four, five, six decades. My mom and dad was married, we're married 63 years, almost 63 when my dad passed. And they set the bar really high. I'm almost halfway there. Dawn and I will celebrate our 30th in 2015. 30 years. I haven't yet made it to my mom and dad's halfway mark. And I realize that this thing is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And I want to just tell you, I know that Victory Church is not my church. But in this season of my life, the responsibility to lead it and lead it faithfully and lead it out of the conviction of the Holy Spirit is resting on me and I'll have to give an account. So I beg you, I beg you for prayers. Because I think 2015 is going to blow us away with the blessing of God. With a new building, with lives being touched in a whole new kind of way. So this morning I want to ask you, maybe you're in a position right now where things have so troubled you that you would like to take the convenient road and just put this situation away quietly. Step away from the relationship, walk away. Some folks change spouses and change jobs and other folks change churches the way they change their underwear too quickly we're a disposable nation we throw relationships away the way people throw away a dirty diaper it's disposable God is looking for a people in the delta and I'm going to tell you something if there's ever anything that I can say to you what you see me do imitate it it's this I will not quit. I've been believing God for what we've been seeing the last four or five years. I've been believing Him for it for 25 years. There is something of the nature of God in persevering, in persistence. It's that old Winston Churchill of never, 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 never give up. Do you know Christ who once set His love on you will always keep His love on you. He will never give up and His love for you. Now this morning, if the facts are screaming louder than the truth, I want to remind you the truth. Some of you are in circumstances that look really bad. The facts are screaming. This, there is no hope. But the truth is, Jesus died 2,000 years ago to fix it before you were ever born. Facts are that you're bound in a destructive pattern of behavior and addiction. But the truth is, Jesus has come to deliver you and set you free. Fact is, your finances are a mess bankruptcy may loom. The truth is, if you'll put your trust in God, He wants to provide your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I don't know what the facts in your situation are, but there's a truth that's always greater than what the facts state. The truth is found in Jesus Christ. Bow your heads with me, please. Father, thank you for this time today as we close this service. We're quick to give you the praise and the glory, and I just ask you to Speak into the hearts right now of these people. As we close this time together, remind us, O Lord, of the ministry of Joseph, the one that covers and refuses to quit and will not give up. 
God, thank you right now for people that are at the, the, at the starting line. They're going to cross that line of faith.